If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Williams changing things up here. He'll throw it. Has time. Waiting for a receiver to come free. Now he takes off. And now he throws it. Back of the end zone. Oklahoma with a big decision over Texas Tech, 52-21. to 21. The Sooners moved to 9-0 for the first time since 2004. Sooners remain unchanged in the latest AP poll. What's going on, everybody? This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. Rich, there is a team who dropped. There is a team in the top 10 who won a game and dropped, and that's Ohio State. They dropped from 5-6. to six. Michigan State makes a, a, a three-position jump up. In the AP poll to number five, Georgia unanimous number one, both AP and coaches poll, Cincinnati number two, Alabama. There's the controversy right there. Seven and one Alabama. And then you got nine and no Oklahoma, eight and no Michigan State. It's not just that Alabama is above one, but two undefeated teams in the top four. And then Wake Forest at eight and no sitting at number 10 going, hey, how come no one's talking about us? Those are all good questions, and they're all very good points that are being brought up by individuals who are discussing this situation as it pertains to Alabama. And it's very easy, in my opinion, to look at Alabama and apply the equation that's being utilized for some of these other one-loss teams. Ohio State, and there's never a good loss, in my opinion, Matt. But Ohio State, when you look at the team they lost to, it's a team that's still sitting inside the top 10. And when I look at Alabama, which, by the way, they lost to Oregon. When I look at Alabama, how did Texas A&M get up to number 13? Because I still think this is a subpar, just an average, if you will, football team that the Aggies are fielding this year. They're the ones who have toppled Alabama. They've slain the Giant yet Alabama does not see any consequences for losing. Is it because of the reputation? Is it because of what Nick Saban has built at that university? Is it because of they've proved the fact that they're competitive each and every year? So they kind of get a little bit of a buy. They get a little bit of a slide here while everybody else has to pay the penalty for losing a, a game, regardless of who that is to at this point in the year. I get the argument for Alabama historically, but we do need to take this season by season and we need to look at teams and say, are they improving week after week after week? As I do believe, Matt, we're recording this on Monday, Tuesday, the college football playoffs 
rankings are going to come out and these AP poll, it's not going to be something that's obsolete, but it doesn't carry as much weight in the conversation anymore. And I do think that the college football playoff committee is going to say, are these teams improving week after week after week? And honestly, I, I don't know how, how they're going to shake everything out when it comes down to it. Yeah. You're, and we're just forewarning that this conversation is probably going to come back around before we finish recording this podcast. But it's a good point about the college football playoff poll coming out on Tuesday. I just, you know, here's the thing Alabama, not only did they lose, they lost to a, a backup quarterback. And you talked about, you know, the not having a penalty for losing, where you really look at teams like Oklahoma and even Ohio State to an extent. I know they have one blemish on the record, but you look at the, what happened just this last week when they, they get a big win and they drop some teams have been punished for winning. I mean, all Oklahoma has done is go nine and zero, and has mm-hmm. it been, has it been dominating? No, but Alabama can't say they're going nine and zero, and, and you, you have excuses for losses, but then you punish teams for winning. It is what it is. This this stretch that Oklahoma is about to go through, I haven't changed my opinion on this at all. This stretch that Oklahoma is about to go through after the bye week, that would determine the season. That's just not going to determine Oklahoma's playoff fate. That's going to determine the Big 12 championship because you've got four teams. Iowa State kind of took a step back this week, but they they are still very much a player. Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma State, that's – you know, that's, that's the Oklahoma's three final opponents where they get the Cyclones at home sandwiched in between a, a trip to Waco and a trip to Stillwater. That's, that's going to be some good football. Oklahoma runs the gauntlet there, championship November. Then they, there's no argument against the Sooners. And I even said as much as, and I'm sticking to my guns on this. I, I think what you really want, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you want Alabama to lose to Georgia in the SEC playoff or the SEC championship game. Because if that happens, it solidifies Georgia as number one, and it's either going to move Cincinnati or Oklahoma to number two. And what you're really looking for, in my opinion, is a first-round matchup against Cincinnati. You take the weaker of the four. You know, if Cincinnati runs the table, take the weaker of the four. I don't think the Bearcats would be a number four seed at at being undefeated. So I think you're looking at Oklahoma two and three with Cincinnati or either order. It doesn't matter if you're two or you're three, you just want that two, three matchup because it's going to be on a neutral field. And that's your best chance. If you're Oklahoma, you you want, you want the big dog in the championship game. And unfortunately for the Sooners, they've had the big dog in the semifinal every time they've made it. And so it would be good for the Sooners to jump in there. And, and because of that, I think you're really cheering for a Georgia, SEC championship that would help Oklahoma get that two or three seed. I, I'm just spitballing here because these, these playoff rankings, I think these are the four teams. I really do. I think the four teams in the playoff rankings, when it comes out, uh, undoubtedly Oklahoma is uh, going to be in there at about three or four. If I'm making a prediction here, this is, this is how I'm going to say it's going to, it's going to lay out uh, uh, Georgia. Number one, I think Cincinnati number two, Oklahoma number three, and then I think Alabama's four. But I I also feel like Wake Forest is going to be, I, they're number ten in the AP. I, Wake Forest will be higher than that in the college football playoff ranking. I will agree with you on Wake Forest. I just don't think they're going to round out the top four 
of the initial college football playoff rankings. And it's no, I, I'm not saying I, I think they'll be higher than number 10, but I don't mm, think they'll be in the top. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Okay. I, I can jump on board with that. The ACC is having a bit of an anomaly this year. Clemson not ranked basically fell off the map uh-huh. without Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. You look at some of the other teams, North Carolina, not as good as we were expecting them to be. We were expecting them really to challenge. I know Notre Dame has a lot of ACC teams on their schedule. We're in the ACC last year. Are they in the ACC this year? No, they're back to no. independent. When we look at the best matchup that ACC opponents have, it is going to be Notre Dame at the moment. And just an unfortunate scenario has played out for all the, the ACC teams yeah. that have faced them. They haven't quite gotten over the hurdle. That is Notre Dame, Matt. Um, but when I look at, at these top four teams, I, it's hard for me right now to ignore a team like Michigan State. Uh, no, you're absolutely right because that – I'm sorry I'm jumping in here, but that's that's the biggest question that this playoff committee has to deal with. What do you do with Michigan State? Because, mm-hmm. again, Alabama is an anomaly in there. You've got Georgia, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Michigan State all undefeated. But there's Alabama sandwiched in between those four undefeateds. and Michigan State on the outside looking in is not the way it should be at this point, but everybody, you, you, all the dollars follow Alabama. So what do you do with Michigan State? That's going to be a huge question for this playoff committee to answer in the first rankings. Right. And I'm looking at the Big Ten and I'm seeing a handful of ranked teams. So it's not as if Michigan State's just getting a buy en route to this undefeated, so far undefeated season. They still have some big games on their schedule, and I do think that everything will work itself out. When it's all said and done, we've already mentioned the gauntlet that Oklahoma is going to have to run. Michigan State just played Michigan. Again, the Big Ten, not a down conference this year across the board, granted. Uh Um, And so when we're looking at a Big Ten team, I still think they've got a legitimate shot. I feel as though this is one of the years where it seems – to be a little more even across the board per these power five conferences, Cincinnati trying to play the the role of a spoiler there. But I do think you have to take three power five teams from different conferences in the playoff this year, assuming Cincinnati holds true and does make, does crash the party, if you will. Yeah. Cincinnati is definitely on on course to doing that. You know, SMU losing earlier, uh, you know, losing this weekend, kind of puts a damper on that schedule strength for Cincinnati. But again, as long as Notre Dame's in the top 10 with their one loss being to Cincinnati, and as long as Cincinnati is undefeated, the Bearcats are in uh, if they keep running the table. Again, you're going to have to deal with Michigan State and and what they're going to do with that team. Now, the coaches have a little more love for Ohio State than they do Michigan State. And again, that's all going to play out. As far as Oklahoma's remaining schedule, Oklahoma State checks in number 11, both in the AP and the coaches poll. Baylor, number 14 in the AP, number 13 in the coaches poll. That's Oklahoma's next opponent. And then Iowa State drops out after inexplicably losing in Morgantown, West Virginia over the weekend. And we'll jump into more of that here later on in the podcast. But real real fast, switching over uh, specifically to Oklahoma football, Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, Big 12 players of the week this week, Caleb Williams, offensive player of the week, Mario Williams, newcomer of the week. You know, when you look at the guys that came back for Oklahoma, Rich, we focus a lot on the defensive guys that were missing, but maybe we overlook the impact of Mario Williams on this offense as well. I don't know that we overlooked 
the impact of Mario Williams, Matt. And it's, it's largely because heading into this season, we were talking about freshmen. You and I were yeah. talking about freshmen that could have a major impact. And Mario Williams was the, the one constant in that equation saying that he could produce Marvin Mims type numbers. We saw Marvin Mims really receiving a majority um, of the attention from opposing defensive coordinators, which opened the door for some of these, these younger players, as well as players that have a little more experience, but haven't really proven themselves like a Jaden Hazelwood on the field with Theo Weiss out that immediately grew the possibility of them having an impact grew and grew and grew until what we're seeing today. I thought Cody Jackson would have been another guy who cemented himself in that equation injuries and, and just depth at that position have really been a hindrance for a guy like Cody Jackson, but Mario Williams has taken every opportunity Mm -hmm. that's been thrown his direction. And like I said, we knew he was that type of talent. We just wanted to see it on the field and he's slowly proving why he was such a highly uh, recruited receiver, but more importantly, why when people were talking about him on an individual with his, his body control, even though he's not the tallest player on the field, his speed and body control were really what set him apart. And he's utilizing those tools to their fullest. If you're asking me. Okay. Let's talk about the uh, first touchdown pass of the game. What is better? The Caleb Williams escape and throw or the Mar- Mario Williams route to get wide open in that back corner. Oh, I, I'm going to go with, with the Caleb Williams escape and throw. And it's, we know that Caleb Williams can run. We know that he has some escapability. We know that he's a bit elusive. And you saw that in the Texas game when he stepped onto the field, you saw it again uh, later. And, and then you've seen some of the heads up plays that he's been able to make. It's just not what I expect out of a true freshman who doesn't have experience. And it's easy, Matt, for us to see the play on the field and immediately forget that that Caleb Williams didn't play his senior year of high school football. So he's a year, basically a year and a half removed, stepping in game five of the season for Oklahoma. He's a year and a half removed from playing competitive football at a high level. Right. Steps onto the field, does what we're seeing him do. It's got to be the more impressive of the two for me. I can jump on board with that. We're going to break down Oklahoma's offensive performance against Texas Tech. We also have true or false questions coming up for Rich and then defense and Big 12 rundown. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich, Caleb Williams steps into some really elite company on Saturday with a six-touchdown performance, becomes the first-ever true freshman to throw for six touchdowns, a true freshman passing record, 402 yards, only the third player in Oklahoma football history to throw six touchdowns with no interceptions, joining Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Um, I, we're, I, just to give you a forewarning, we're going to talk about Caleb Williams again in the true or false segment, but I've been thinking about this since I left the stadium on Saturday evening. I don't, and I've been around long enough to, to, to remember this. We've not seen a phenomenon as a freshman at the quarterbacks for Oklahoma since Jamel Holloway. Now I'm not going to go as far and say, you know, Jamel Holloway led the Sooners to the 85 national championship. And therefore Caleb Williams is going to do the same thing. I'm not jumping on that train. I'm just saying, when you talk about a guy who can just turn a season Caleb Williams is exactly what Jamel Holloway was in 1985. And that, that Sooner team had one loss already when Holloway really takes over for Troy Aikman. 
but I think Caleb Williams, he's a stronger leader as far as drawing people to him. You and I have talked about this. Not since Baker Mayfield have we seen both sides of the ball rally around one offensive player. And and again, I, I gotta I understand the the tightrope that that Lincoln Riley walks with with the two quarterbacks and not that we have to take it that far, but I mean, I don't want to knock Spencer Rattler, but there's just the personality of Caleb Williams. It's not just leadership by what he says vocally. It's leadership by what he does with his athletic ability. You and I already talked about that Mario Williams touchdown on the, on the, the first touchdown of the game where for most quarterbacks in the big 12, I think including Spencer Rattler, that's a sack. But Caleb's able to elude, evade, and then keep his eyes downfield. He finds Mario Williams, who ran a great route for that touchdown. And then, speaking of routes, the route was on literally from that point forward. How special – you're younger, but is there somebody you would compare Caleb Williams to what he's doing? Or is this like a first-time thing for you as far as a true freshman taking over and leading this team? Are, are you talking about within Oklahoma history? Yeah, I mean, just just your. I mean, if you got a, if you got somebody from. Are you talking about nation, in general? Because I know you could go to Trevor Lawrence because, and, and really, there is a lot of parallels between what's happening with Trevor Lawrence or what's happening with Caleb Williams, and what happened with Trevor Lawrence. You know, Trevor. A lot of people forget Kelly Bryant. They forget that name, Kelly Bryant, who was the all-world player for Clemson, and then Trevor Lawrence steps on campus as a freshman and leads him to a national championship. So you can make that parallel, and I think it fits to this scenario. But just as far as Oklahoma football history, when's the last big-time freshman? Because there's there's an obvious one out there, I think, for you. When's the last big-time freshman <laughs> that you saw come in and just change the facade of the team? There, there. You're saying that there's a there's an obvious a big one. one out there. Yeah, yeah. There's an obvious answer here for you. And the I, I feel like you're you're trying to get me to lean heavily into a name like Adrian Peterson. Exactly. Adrian Peterson, a very similar trajectory, by the way. Um, just in case you don't recall, but Adrian Peterson was not the starter right. of that football team day one, middle of the season. That really changed. He has that campaign, finds himself in the Heisman conversation, um, sitting next to Jason White, as well as two other players. <laughs> from USC who all played in the national championship uh-huh. against one another. Um, I'm not going to mention those names because apparently that season didn't happen, that but needless never to say, existed. exactly. Needless to say, well, just Matt, for we're, USC, we're, it existed for Oklahoma. It did. Just the the bowl did. game didn't exist, but that whole right. USC season didn't exist. It, if you're talking about players who stepped on campus for the very first time and were able to win over a, an entire locker room, um, I don't have one at Oklahoma for you. Adrian Peterson was not this guy who was full of life and personality. Um, I was at the University of Oklahoma enrolled at the same time Adrian Peterson was, and I saw him every day. And you know what he did? He walked around with his hood on, and he knew that he was going to be a big deal. Everybody knew that. But he walked around with his hood on and, and kind of really just kept to himself I don't get that impression about a Baker Mayfield. A Baker Mayfield would have been completely different. Caleb Williams, completely different story. And so if I'm trying to draw some kind of a comparison in recent history, the only person that that would potentially come to mind for me is not an Oklahoma football player, but rather a Wisconsin football player, and that's Russell Wilson. 
Yeah, but see, he wasn't even. Um, I'm. I don't know. Yeah. I I I see I I see what you're saying. I I get the 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 connection you're making, but he didn't really take over as a true freshman, did he? In Wisconsin. Russell Wilson wasn't a true freshman. He he right. was a graduate transfer. That's what I'm saying. And so um, anyway, but but I see what you're saying about kind of being the new man on campus and so forth. But mm-hmm. just the the what you're seeing from I, I feel like with Caleb Williams, every time he takes the field, there's the potential for a record to be broken. Every time. And you got that same feeling from Baker Mayfield. You got that same feeling from Kyler Murray for, for Jalen hurts. It was against, you know, whoever the opponent was. And you really just didn't get it with Spencer Rattler. You kind of, you, you got the potential vibe with, with Spencer Rattler. This guy could be good. This guy could be really good. This guy could set, he could set records, but with Caleb Williams, you just feel like every time he steps on the field, offensive records could fall. And there have been a, handful of Oklahoma quarterbacks in the past where that's happened, but really not a true freshman. Sam Bradford in 2007 is, is the closest that you've got to that. And you knew watching him play in 2007 was special. And then he had that phenomenal season in 2008 where he won the Heisman trophy. But even at that, you don't get the same vibe with Caleb Williams that you got with Sam Bradford. It's like, this guy's here. I mean, this, he, he makes plays. You 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 pick the play. Fourth and one against Texas. The fourth and one against Kansas, where he takes the ball away from Kennedy Brooks. The escape and evade against Texas Tech to throw to Mario Williams. He makes plays that ninety percent of the quarterbacks in the Big Twelve can't make. There's a handful of guys out there that can make these plays, but none of them are true freshmen. And that just sets sets up more and more to how special this kid is going to be, and and really how special he is right now in the moment i've got to throw something something out here for you matt because when we were previewing this game on thursday there were a couple of scenarios and situations that you threw out and i immediately attached the label of that's bonkers it ain't gonna happen in this game number one spencer rattler making an appearance in the game by the way let's five for five let's talk about the performance the average 13.4 yards per pass right. is what Caleb Williams was at. That's right, 13.4. Granted, he threw six times <laughs> the number of passes that Spencer Rattler did. Right. But you have to look and, and question where was that vertical threat? Because the first pass downfield that Spencer Rattler throws, by the way, what a great catch by Brian yes, Darby. Exactly. Another name that we haven't seen in quite some time. But what a catch, a catch and throw and it makes me wonder where was that for the first five games of the season clearly it was in the chamber it was just yeah. not being well, unleashed and we talked well we, this oh, go ahead the second thing matt that i'm throwing out there and saying you were right on was the the return of marcus major right i said there were consequences that had to be paid uh, apparently he has reconciled that situation and he has made his way back onto the field and that's a big relief um, for that room, for that group specifically, and depth, that's a big relief for anyone on the outside looking in. Yeah, uh, to Marcus Major, again, I haven't changed my stance on what we said last week in, in previewing this game, is that you're going into the bye week, you, you need three healthy running backs, three scholarship running backs who can be an impact in this game. And, and Marcus Major, 
Razor, I had him playing. I, di- I didn't have him leading the team in rushing, but, you know, that's what he did. But it was all garbage time. But it was good to see him run and run strong. Had the big hit on the uh, on the Texas Tech defender that knocked his helmet off. So you, you love to see that kind of stuff from, from a kid who's been anxious to play. And then Spencer Rattler, it's the same thing. You, you're, you need – Oklahoma has the best backup quarterback in the nation. And the thing with Spencer Rattler is now the pressure's off. He doesn't have to perform at a high level to protect a draft pick or to tr- protect an investment from somebody who's given him, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in free automobiles or anything. None, all that, all that is gone. So all the other thing Spencer Rattler has to focus on now is playing football. And I'm a hundred percent convinced he will not be at this team next year, but to come in in that moment and say, you know what? I, I, I'm not pouting. I'm my head's in the game. I'm prepared. I, I'm making the throw again, five for five. You want to see that because if the moment were to come, particularly down this next brutal stretch that's coming up, if the moment were to come where you need Spencer Rattler, you got to be able to know with confidence that you can call on him. And I think he answered all those questions on Saturday. And and if you're looking for like a flip side, you know, well, what happens if Caleb Williams does suffer an injury or setback or something? Again, all the pressure's off. This Spencer Rattler is not the same Spencer Rattler that took the field at the Cotton Bowl with a, a thousand and five endorsements and NFL scouts breathing down his neck. He, he is a stress-free, focused Spencer Rattler, and I, I expect that's whoever he plays for next season. That's what they're going to get out of him as well. But uh, kudos to uh, to Lincoln Riley for taking my advice and playing both of those guys uh, before the break because now you kind of know where you are. You can go in. You can. Make your pick uh, as far as what you want to do with this depth chart at running back, what you want to do uh, with the offensive line and adjusting to your quarterbacks. All you just go in with a lot more confidence uh, seeing these two guys take the field uh, in a in a thirty one point blowout. Speaking of confidence, though, we we talked about Mario Williams, we talked about Marvin Mims just a little bit, but this trio, Jaden Hazelwood, Mario Williams, Marvin Mims, this is the first time, Rich, that I've seen this season that these three guys just kind of dominated the field. Marvin Mims, four catches, 135 yards, two touchdowns. I believe he was the guy you pegged as the offensive player to watch. Mario Williams, nope. five catch. No, who did you have? No. Man, I I barely completely whiffed on this one. I said it would be Jeremiah Hall, but Braden Willis stepped in Braden to that Willis role more than game, Jeremiah yeah. Hall hey, did. Jeremiah and- Hall had three catches. <laughs> He did, but he didn't get that touchdown. <laughs> Braden Willis did. My bad. Well, I was trying to give you some some props there, but I guess uh, I guess it was unmerited. But anyway, uh, Jaden Hazelwood three catches, forty yards, has the one handed snag uh, early in the game. I just you you see the true potential with with this team and this receiving core, and what it does is it opens up things like. Austin Stogner, he had one catch on the day, but it was a touchdown and he was wide open because you have to give so much attention to these mm-hmm. other three receivers. And and you look at the thing, we, everyone's talking about it. We started talking about it a week ago when Oklahoma was 8-0. Now they're 9-0. They're doing things for the first time that, that we haven't seen since 2004. And that, that team went undefeated all the way into the, the BCS championship game. Oklahoma, I feel like... Th- there's again, there's a bye week and then there's three weeks of the regular season. But I don't think that they've even scratched the surface yet at how dangerous they can become, particularly when these receiving guys get going. Now that Mario Williams is back, I really, 
I think that there's an extra dynamic with the speed of Mario Williams that has to be accounted for. And I, I just think that the, coming out of the bye week, they're going to play a, a Baylor defense that's probably the second strongest defense that they're going to face this season. And I I don't really have concerns about Oklahoma's offense going up into Waco against that defense. And and these three receivers. That's are, a good. Well, I mean, these three receivers are, are a big reason why. <laughs> That's good for you, man. <laughs> really good for you. You're saying you don't have you don't have it. Uh... You know, um, it's hard for me at this point in time to not have a little bit of concern, and the reason being is we just haven't seen this consistently, right? Enough. No, I agree. I agree. This this is a team. Don't get me wrong, because I'll tell you this over and over and over again. This is a team that has unlimited potential. The talent on the offensive side of the ball has been there for years and years and years. And I think in this Texas Tech game, what we can say about Oklahoma was that they played from start to finish. There was no let up. There was no entitlement. There was no, we deserve to win this game because of the name across the front of our jersey. And we don't have to play to the best of our ability in order to secure that win. Again, this was, in my opinion, a team offensively and I would venture to say defensively as well, that played from start to finish at a high level without getting a break over the course of those nine games. And so when we look at it, Matt, again, the potential there is there. The talent is there. It just needs to finally come together. And I, I don't know if I'm, I'm there yet, and that's my one hesitation. And it's because we've seen the coaching staff say it as well. This team is so close. The question mark is so close to what? Mm -hmm. I don't know what Lincoln Riley is referencing when he says that. I don't know what Alex Grinch is pointing towards when they're making these types of statements. But if we're talking about it and it's this undefined thing, I can confidently say they're one step closer to reaching that potential. The potential being the it for me. Well, here's one thing to consider when you're talking about this, this narrative. Think back to Oklahoma's recent string of success, and what you've seen is a team that kind of launches out of the gate to start the season, hits its stride late September into October, and then starts kind of going downhill in November. They they run through championship November, but they're not offensively, they're not clicking the way. When they hit the Big 12 championship game, they hit the bowl game, they're just not clicking on all the cylinders that they were six weeks prior to that. This season, is a, it's a little bit different and that I think that there's a chance here that they really hit their stride offensively going into this final, this last stretch. And, and I think that's something that, if I'm an Oklahoma fan, I'm a little bit excited about. And I, I want to take Saturday as a, as a good example of this because there is criticism out there from Saturday's game, and I'm not going to say it's unwarranted. I'm not going to say it's unmerited. But if you're going to criticize this team from Saturday, you're going to say, well, where was the running game? This team didn't run the football. And, you know, Kenny Brooks, eight carries. Marcus Major, five carries. Eric Gray, only two carries. They didn't run the ball. Only 78 total yards on the ground. 35 of those coming from uh, Kennedy Brooks. 29 from Marcus Major. But here's the – this is why I say you should be excited. Because – Texas Tech said, we're going to focus on stopping the run. And what that did was it opened up the passing game early for Oklahoma, early for Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. 
And then Texas Tech could never close the door on the on the on the passing game. Lincoln Riley was just kind of like, okay, look, we're okay with you stopping the run because you clearly can't stop the pass. And and uh, you saw that adjustment, and you saw that there wasn't a speed bump. You know, there wasn't a, a, a pumping the brakes and readjusting. It was just like, hey, you want to take that away from us? Take it away from us. Now, use that deep zone and try to stop these guys. And and it's the first time to me that Oklahoma had continual success against a, a deep zone. That's what confused Spencer Rattler early in the season. That's what had Caleb Williams kind of on his heels in the first half against Kansas a week ago. It's that, that how do I, how do I patiently wait for something underneath while also strategically looking for deep shots? And you saw Caleb Williams do both of those things on Saturday and they didn't even care that they weren't running the ball. And and I get it that Oklahoma fans, you want to see that. You want to see Kennedy Brooks get over 100 yards. You want to see this team average, you know, 150 yards. But look, they'll take – would you not take a 31-point win if you're only going to average 3.6 yards per carry? I'll take that swap off any day because what the other result has been, 200-plus yards and a 7-point win. I, I think we found a happy medium here, right? <laughs> I I do think so. And I am jumping on board with a statement. Yes, we have enjoyed the fruits of Kennedy Brooks. You and I still differ on why Kennedy Brooks was posting such large numbers. But the fact is that Kennedy Brooks was posting those large numbers, the 100-plus rushing yard performances. Undoubtedly, one of the things I think we've grown accustomed to seeing. Um, But Lincoln Riley, Matt, we've – We've talked about this in the past. One of the best offensive minds in the country, if not the best offensive mind in the nation at the moment. Right. And what Lincoln Riley has really built a reputation on is discovering any, any type of weakness that you have defensively and then exploiting it. Uh-huh. Granted, there have been better, uh, better games for Lincoln Riley in that regard than some of the more recent ones here, but when we look at what Lincoln Riley is known for, it's even if that that weakness, if you don't think there's a glaring one on a piece of paper or on film, Lincoln Riley's going to find that. And I believe when it came to Texas Tech, you and I sat here and said their weakness was was in in run defense. Right. That was not the case for Lincoln Riley in preparation for this game and the game plan that they executed. When a defense is going to give up that that many passing yards, I I wholeheartedly agree and think you attack it as much as you can because again you have capable players at the skill positions uh, on the field and when you attack those and dare them to stop you and they can't why why would you ever draw back from doing that exactly and play into the strength that they were right. they were showcasing on the field on Saturday. Yeah, a hundred percent agree with you. It's that was that was Sonny Cumbie's um, idea of uh, Sonny Cumbie uh, in, in the Texas Tech offense. That's what, that's what they wanted to do. Uh, the defense, sorry, they're 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 like, you know what? We're gonna stuff the run and make a true freshman beat us. And and uh, and Lincoln Riley beat him like a rent of mule with a true freshman. So uh, good good for them. Give me your offensive player of the game and tell me why it's Marvin Mims. Is it Marvin Mims? I mean, Can, if, are, if, if are, quarterbacks are, we, are, are we putting, if quarterbacks are off the table, it's got to be Marvin Mims, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. If quarterbacks are off the table, 
I, I didn't know that we had removed them from the equation. I tell you what, here Again. from this point forward, from this point forward, we'll we'll take the quarterbacks off the table. So if you want to make Caleb Williams your offensive player of the game and his six touchdowns, I will one hundred percent allow it. Oh no, it's okay. I'll I'll go with Marvin Mims, and then I don't have to tell you why it's not Marvin Mims. <laughs> okay. Uh, fair enough. That's who, that's who I've got. Marvin Mims, again, uh, four catches, 135 yards, two touchdowns. His long was a 67-yard touchdown, and I believe that was the longest touchdown reception of his career. So he's got that going for him. Good afternoon for the, the true sophomore. Yeah, go ahead. Hey, I just want to throw a quick nod towards a guy like Drake Stoops. Um, right. I, when... Sure, his productivity is not off the charts. He's not going to lead the team in receiving yards. Um, but, Matt, you were talking about Oklahoma surveying the field, taking the chances on the D-ball, but at the same time saying we are playing against the deep zone and we have to have a player who's going to sit down in the middle of that zone and make things happen. You did see a little bit of that with Jaden Hazelwood. I think – unrivaled in terms of what they were doing across the middle in front of this zone, it, it manifested itself through Drake Stoops. So I do think that he needs a little bit of a nod here because what he's doing underneath is, is having these safeties, having these cornerbacks all of a sudden have to know what rotations mm -hmm. are going down. And if they can't get those rotations right and they release, which we did see happen, they release a receiver into the backfield and there's no one over the top of that receiver, it's an easy catch and throw. So, like I said, I don't, Marvin Mims, yes, my player of the game, but I'm going to throw a head nod towards Drake Stoops in this one as well. I, I get what you're saying, but as far as that easy catch and throw, Drake Stoops had the quote of the game, in my opinion, afterwards. He was talking about his touchdown reception where he laid out to what a great catch by Drake Stoops to, to score that touchdown. But he said afterwards uh, something along the lines of um, – I know, I know Caleb had to throw it a bit high because of the positioning of the safety, but honestly, it required all of my five foot 10 inches to get that catch. <laughs> so good, good quote there from, from Drake. All right. True or false coming up. I'm asking the questions once again to rich and I gotta be honest with you, rich. They're not, they're not difficult this week. You're, you're going to have fun with true or false. This episode is brought to you by all state. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. Here's how this works. Five statements, five questions. Rich is going to tell me whether they're true or whether they're false. And then he's going to tell me why they're either true or false. And typically I got a, something to chime in there as well. I will try my best, Rich, 
to not over um, overbear you with uh, my own comments here. But uh, some of these things we've already talked about here on the first half of the podcast, some of them we've not gotten into. And so here we go. One through five. Are you ready, my friend? Yep. All right. Number one, true or false? Confirmed. The recent defensive struggles were directly linked to the injury report. You can't deny that after Saturday. Okay. Um, you said defensive struggles? Yes. Um, I, I do have to say true. Based upon the performance, and this is per your question, based upon the performance Saturday, when we look at what Oklahoma is doing and switching some of these players' positions – Matt, I know that Key Lawrence was playing cornerback for the first time on this roster, moving over from that safety position, moving over even potentially as a backup at the nickelback position. When he moves over into that position, his role vastly changes into being a, a cover type guy. And I think he absolutely delivered. So Oklahoma, again, I said this about the offense. I'm going to say it about the defense. They have the talent that's necessary to compete at a high level. And the coaches, I've always said this, and I'll continue to say it, it's their job to put these players in a position to succeed. As they begin to look at the situation, they begin to look at the bye week and say, let's just get into the bye week without any other injuries. I think they found a recipe for success and consequentially found a little bit of depth at some of these other positions, whether that be the defensive line or that be in the secondary. So yeah, I think they address the issue, the concern there of injuries by moving some of these pieces around and doing so successfully, which now leads me to say, yes, they did put players in a position to succeed, which now leads back to your original question here of saying the struggles there were, were solely because of injury. I have to say true. Of all the guys that came back to Oklahoma's roster on uh, Saturday, I think the two biggest names were Delarian Turner-Yale and Jalen Redmond, and we'll get into that more when we start breaking down Oklahoma's defensive uh, performance against Texas Tech. But, um, yeah, that's my two cents on that. See, look, see how quickly I did that? And I, I, I didn't take away from anything that you said. All right, number two, true or false, Rich? There's been a lot of talk, a lot of controversy about the AP rankings, and we all, we all know that that's true. True or false? After Tuesday, no one's going to care about the AP rankings anymore. Yeah, that, that one's absolutely true for me. We discussed this a little bit earlier on here in this podcast, um, because at the end of the day, the ones that have the only deciding factor in whether you make the college football playoff and have that opportunity to play for the national championship is, guess what? The, the college football playoff and the committee that makes those rankings. So 100%. Again, Matt, I, 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 I'm hesitant to say that they'll be irrelevant, but I am here saying your question that you're asking, the statement that you're making is true because they will be the only, the college football playoff rankings will be the only one teams, programs, and supporters, aka fans of those teams will care about moving forward. Bonus, this is like 2.1, all right? Bonus, bonus question here, true or false, the argument's just going to transition from the AP to the college football playoff poll. <laughs> I I don't think that's the way it's going to shake out. I do think there's some merit to a zero, a number dash 
followed by a zero uh-huh. there over a one being in that second column. I do have to think that Alabama will be highly ranked if that's who we're centering on. If Ohio State is that conversation piece here in a couple of weeks, I do think there's some merit to having that zero. And obviously it's going to dictate where the college football playoff uh, committee puts these teams. Fair enough. All right, number three, here we go. True or false, there's no need to pump the brakes on the Caleb William hype. Keep the pedal to the metal. It's the real deal. Oh, man, this is a this is a sticky situation for me because I last a Thursday said that Caleb Williams should not be there for the Heisman or shouldn't, shouldn't necessarily be considered for the Heisman. Uh, but I do think this, this – I'll answer it with a true. Caleb Williams is the real deal. And when he was coming out of high school, there was a lot of hype that centered around him. As people began to follow along his journey, as people began to hear more about his capabilities, see some of that on social media. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Was Caleb, Caleb Williams was the one who did the blog on SI, right? Right, right. Okay, Spencer Rattler had the film on Netflix, if you will. So Caleb Williams, as he opened up in that recruiting process and people began to latch on, to what was going on in his life, I, I think really began to kept, catch glimpses of the personality, that magnetic personality that we've talked about, the innate leadership ability that he clearly has and has demonstrated, plus the on, on the field tools, the arm strength and the mobility that are required to play at the division one in a power five conference at a high level, uh, not just a, a competitor in the conference, but a competitor on the national scene, Mm -hmm. he has all of the tools necessary to be successful. And I really think we're just seeing the beginning of what Caleb Williams is capable of as his confidence grows. So will those possibilities for him. Okay. I I agree wholeheartedly with you. So we're going to move on to uh, number four, true or false, Rich going into championship November. The biggest concern with this team right now is the offensive line play. Oh, man, I, I'm going to go with false on this one. I don't know that it's offensive line play. I do think that is a concern. However, I think the injuries are a bigger concern, specifically when we look at what's transpired over the defensive side of the ball. We've seen how one injury can drastically change mm-hmm. the trajectory of this defense, specifically in the secondary. And when we begin to look at those injuries, there's no telling when they'll be cleared by a doctor to return to the field. There's also no telling once they are cleared, if they'll, they'll be able to play at that same level. We have seen individuals drop off after an injury and after making that return. We've also seen players who come back and it's like they've never missed a beat. So injuries will be the number one concern for me and getting healthy. I stated that after eight weeks. I'm stating it here after nine weeks of play. I think it would be foolish of me <laughs> at this point in time to say the offensive line. Okay, last uh, last one here on the list. Number five, true or false, Rich? This is the most anticipated and needed bye week in the history of Oklahoma football. Yeah, absolutely true. I'm not going to rehash any of the injuries, but when you play and you consistently have to earn those wins, none of them are give me's throughout. As we've said with Texas Tech, I think is the best performance all around. For Oklahoma, but each and every week you see these close 
closer than what they should have been games, which put fans on, on the edge of their seats. But it also meant that here's the starters who are having to play longer minutes than maybe they would have anticipated as well. Conditioning came into play, injuries came into play. And so when you hit this bye week, it is that time to rest. It's that time to recoup and it's time to begin to prepare for what November, what November is bringing for this Oklahoma team. There it is. True or false. You can always participate by letting us know whether you agree or disagree. Hit us up on Twitter at sports heartland. You can find us on the internet heartland sports.com. You can submit your own true or false questions. Uh, we like to hear from our listeners and uh, just hit us up uh, by Twitter and we'll get that on to one of the podcasts. I'm going to break down Oklahoma's defensive performance against Texas Tech and then give you some thoughts from around the Big 12 before we close everything out. Rich, Oklahoma held West Virginia to 13 points back in September. Since then, they gave up 31 points to Kansas State, 48 points to Texas, 31 points to TCU, 23 points to Kansas, before finally coming back around and holding Texas Tech to just 21 points. And seven of those 21 came in by way of a garbage time uh, touchdown. I don't think you can make an argument against the impact that injuries had on this team. You and I have already talked about getting healthy and already talked about Delaire and Turner Yell, already talked about um, Jalen Redmond and what these guys allowed this defense to do. Um, we did talk briefly about the position changes, but I think there's even something greater than that. But let's let's rehash the position changes. Having Delaire and Turner yell back in that defensive secondary at the safety position allowed Key Lawrence to rotate over and fill in Woody Washington's spot at corner. And that was a big question after the Kansas game was, you know, Key Lawrence proved that he deserves to play on this defense. He proved that he's capable of playing on this defense and he proved that he's a playmaker. The question was, what happens when Delary and Turner Yell comes back? Well, now we know the answer to that question is you slide him over to Woody Washington's spot at the cornerback position, and he's still very much a playmaker. I thought for his first game ever at, in the Crimson and Cream to play corner, that was a we talked about as a comment that the receiver for Texas Tech. That's a big that's a big challenge right there. So you 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 solve a problem, you take Jaden Davis off the field, which still blows my mind that Jaden Davis being on the field was a problem for this defense. But that said, you take Jaden Davis off the field, you, you get, uh, you get DJ Graham back, you get key Lawrence over on the other side. So there's one, one way that getting guys healthy back helped this defense. And then the other thing was Isaiah Thomas, because you've got Jalen Redmond back. You, you move Isaiah Thomas from the interior of the defensive line to the outside of the defensive line. And this guy was completely dominant on Saturday, batting down two passes, one of them resulting in a punt because it was on third down. The other one resulting in a Pat Fields interception. He forced the fumble, recovered the fumble. The, Isaiah Thomas was just a monster on Saturday. And the large reason for that was because he was coming from the edge and not from up the middle because you don't need him there in the middle anymore because you have Jalen Redmond. So those two things were really, really big in terms of Oklahoma's defensive performance. And both of them were made possible because you got two guys back that had been injured. One of the things Matt, you and I had discussed on Thursday was the return of Jalen Redmond and the type of impact it would have upon this game. We see exactly what that impact was because hindsight's always going to be 2020 here. And the beneficiary of that, as you mentioned, 
is Isaiah Thomas. That's clearly a very natural fit for him. It's where he excels on the edge, that is, of this defensive line. And it's where he can make his presence known. But none of that happens without the presence of a guy like a Jalen Redmond there uh-huh. on the interior. And that's no slight to any of the other players who are playing on this defensive line. It's There's just something different about a guy like Isaiah Thomas when he's playing a natural position for himself instead of playing out of position because he's a body who can fill multiple roles. Right. Oklahoma at the defensive line, Matt, has several names who are pretty versatile and can flip from one position to the other. What we're learning, though, is it doesn't mean that that's the best spot for them to be playing in. And I think the introduction of Jalen Redmond back to this defensive line didn't just impact the the front end of this defense, but it obviously had an impact on the back end of this defense. Why? Because you have to account not only for Perrion Winfrey in the middle, you have to account for Jalen Redmond also there in the middle, Isaiah Thomas on the edge, and wherever Oklahoma decided to line decided to line Nick Benito up, that's that's a pretty stout front, just four names if we wanted to go that far. And the beneficiary on the back end of that, if you're asking me, was the the linebacker, none other than a guy that we said had a lot of potential, Deshaun White. You see eight tackles mm-hmm. there with credit for half a tackle for loss but he was the guy who was able to come in and really just clean up because of how they were directing the ball carrier to move and move about in any type of space that was allotted to them in that moment yeah and one one other thing i want to bring up outside just the where you where you you transition to personnel i i talked about that terrible run that this defense has had following the West Virginia game. And I I think the one thing that gets overlooked in that is that the West Virginia game is where Delarian Turner yell got injured. And so he's been out. He, he, he missed Kansas state. He missed Texas. He missed TCU. He missed the Kansas game. And suddenly he's back. And this defense is a lot closer to what they were against Nebraska and West Virginia than they were those other four schools. And much of that is the defensive communication by having Delarian Turner yell on the field, making sure guys are in their right position and they know their assignments. We have used the phrase. We certainly didn't coin the phrase. It's not something we invented, but we have used the phrase so many times, the quarterback of the defense. And we, we talked about Buki having played that role for the previous few seasons before he left to go to Washington and not falling on the shoulders of Delarian Turner yell this last season and are this season right now. And and they missed that. I, I just, I, 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 you can't, you can't overlook the value of a guy on the field who knows what he's doing, who know, who knows where the, where, where the safeties are supposed to be, and where the linebackers are supposed to be, and wh- who has what gap, and and who has what coverage, deep third, middle third, all that stuff. It's such a big, big deal when you've got a guy out there who can put you in your right spot, and it's a lot of times it's X's and O's. But also a lot of time it's being the right place at the right time. And we seem to have seen more guys in the right place at the right time on Saturday than we even did against Kansas. And a lot of that goes to Delay and Turner Yale being out there on the field. I'm going to throw a third wrinkle into this conversation because I do think the introduction of some of these injured players back into the lineup had a big impact. 
you've mentioned the communication, obviously saw an uptick. But I think the third one, Matt, is that we're seeing guys like Billy Bowman who were recruited for this specific defense. These rangy defenders are, are because everyone's finally finding their fit, they're playing that natural position. These rangy defenders can be rangy, if that right. makes sense yeah. at all. And what I mean by that is, yeah, you saw a handful of the the passes coming out from Columbia's hands. You saw them knocked up into the air. And how many times in the past, without a guy like a Delaire and Turner yell on the field, did we see those just fall to the ground without really a defender in the vicinity of them? This time, you're seeing those those lengthy players who do have speed diving or in the right position to attempt mm. to make those catches and securing them and coming down with them. Two interceptions by virtue of a tip, if I'm not mistaken, in the game against Texas Tech. I said there would be opportunity for that. I expected it to be from those rangy type defenders that we've talked about, but I did expect the score, Matt, and we still didn't get it. So I'm sitting here just twiddling my thumbs, still waiting for that to happen. Well, it's going to happen at some point, I, I believe. And maybe uh, you want to save that for the bigger games, you know, that are coming up that, that close out this uh, regular season. Oklahoma, defensively, they held Texas Tech to four of 13 on third downs. That was That's the money down. That's huge. Four of 13. They, you talked about the, the turnovers, two interceptions and a, a, a fumble recovery. The defense um, – <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the defense did – uh, give up over a hundred yards uh, of rushing, but it took Texas tech 32 carries and they, the red Raiders only averaged 3.3 yards per carry to get there all around. This was a, a much improved defense, but rich, the, the three turnovers, that's, that's the killer right there. If you're trying to put a team away, three turnovers absolutely does that for you. Right. It absolutely does that. Not only that, does that kill the drive? for you but it also takes a little bit of that confidence that you may have had and as you start to question your ability and what you're doing on the field if you could throw into a tight window the game beforehand and make that completion all of a sudden you're not able to do that anymore and it a large portion of that is the mental aspect of the game granted there are players who have the ability to think like a goldfish and put that behind them and move forward and still throw into those tight windows it's what separates the greats from the goods in my opinion and when we look at the the three turnovers defensively it it begins to address one of the major problems that we talked about with this Oklahoma football team was the lack of offensive possession so mm -hmm. I don't think you can not count those as that booster for this offense when knowing Oklahoma only had eight offensive possessions against Kansas, you turn the ball over, you force those turnovers, you automatically increase that number of possessions. But I wanted to ask a quick question here of you when it came to Sonny Cumbie and the way that he took over as the interim head coach of this Texas Tech team, I, I do think that he's likely one of the candidates that the university is looking at to replace a guy like Matt Wells. However, I was shocked at the number of times that he went for it on fourth down. Do you think that was an attempt to show that he's willing to take some chances, put that on his resume as the interim head coach that could benefit him? Or was that a, hey, we're just in a situation where we absolutely have to go for it if we want to stay in this game? Yes, yeah, it's, it's the latter. I mean, th th those were forced. You had to do it if you, if you didn't go for it. And, and 
And again, if you're going to criticize Oklahoma's defensive performance, it's fourth down. The Red Raiders were three of four on fourth down. So you got a 75% conversion rate against this defense on fourth down. But the reality of the matter is that they had to. They had to have those fourth downs. And so I don't think it was something he was trying to build up for a resume. In fact, Saturday didn't do anything to help Sonny Cumbie get this job. And and if you want evidence of of well, just the reason why he won't be the next head coach at Texas Tech, it's going to be how the first half ended. You know, that was the worst time management play opportunity <laughs> to get a field goal kicker out there I've ever seen. I mean, I've I've that's that's the kind of stuff that um that you just kind of go, okay, wait, what? And and I mean, I even included that in in our recap that we do because I I do a segment called Wait What, and it's typically oh, some fantastic play uh, that Oklahoma makes in in the game that you just kind of have to take a double take at, like Jaden Hazelwood's one handed catch. But I put that field goal attempt in there because like the field goal ki- kicker is running onto the field at the point that the ball is snapped. That that kind of stuff on film doesn't get you hired when you're the interim head coach. And so, no, those, those fourth down attempts were just out of necessity to, to try to get something going. And, you know, fortunately for Oklahoma, they, they didn't really come back to bite them because tech did have success in that uh, by completing three of the four. A second question I wanted to ask, and this one really more so pertains to the offense. Just, I was just reminded of it as you were talking about, kicking the football Oklahoma in this game did not receive the kick I'm assuming that means that they lost the coin toss there is no deferment when you're playing Oklahoma you take the kick or or you you elect to return the ball or Oklahoma is going to elect to return it are we at a point in time where we can say that's no longer a major concern it doesn't have a major bearing on the game and this offense I think one game is not enough. I mean, it, you have confidence in it. I mean, because when when Texas Tech won the toss and said that they want the ball, I, I immediately just said, okay, here we go. I mean, because you know. You it's going to be a 15-minute drive. Yeah, you know what the, the plan is. And this, the defense forced Texas Tech into a three and out. Uh-huh. And so you're like, yeah, okay. So now you got to score because that's what you got. You got to score first to kind of get them out of that game plan. Oklahoma didn't score. So they punt back to Texas Tech, and you're like, ah, crap. You know, you're you're right back to where you were kicking off. But then they they force another punt, and then Caleb Williams hits Mario Williams to get the scoring going and kind of eradicate that that offensive game plan that Texas Tech was was thinking about. And, and give them credit because that's the mo. That's that's what teams do to Oklahoma. Um, and the only coach, I mean, I got to throw this out here. The only coach, because I say this every time, the only coach who had the capability of doing this and chose not to do it was Steve Sarkeesian, who just like, yeah, we're, we'll just go toe for toe, slug for slug. And it worked for a half, but uh, then, uh, then you know, we, we all know what happened. Uh, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, for those of you that are old enough to remember that. Um, but yes, this was a big, big deal for Oklahoma's defense. This was the test right out of the gate to, to be on the field first and to force a three and out. You could just feel... In that stadium, you could feel like the weight lifted off of everyone's shoulders. It was like, I mean, it wasn't just a force in a punt. It was a three and out. And everyone was like, ah, you know. And so that was huge. And maybe one of the biggest things that Oklahoma's defense did on the day was on that opening possession, forcing a punt. So I, I got to ask you then, moving from there, 
Uh, give me your defensive MVP and tell me why it's Isaiah Thomas. It is absolutely Isaiah Thomas. The impact that he had on the game I've already mentioned uh, allowed some of these other players to reap the benefits of what was going on behind him. But you consistently saw the pressure from him. You consistently saw that he simply overpowered any offensive lineman that was in front of him. Whether he got there or not is irrelevant in this story to me because he still had that impact of rec- the recognition. And they talked a lot about this on the broadcast, the recognition of the quarterbacks trying to get the ball out a little bit quicker than you are going to be able to get yeah. to the quarterback and get hands on the quarterback and hopefully bring them down in the backfield. With that recognition, it's just to put your hands up. And I thought Isaiah Thomas did a textbook job mm-hmm. of that all all afternoon long. No, I, I agree with you. Isaiah Thomas is my defensive player of the game. And there's, there's several good defensive performances that you, you at least got to throw a hat tip to Pat Fields, eight tackles. Uh, you already mentioned Deshaun White. We are mentioned to Key Lawrence. And I think quietly, Justin Broyles is redeeming himself with a, some pretty solid performances over the last couple of weeks. But here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. If you get a chance to go back and watch this film, um, go, go back and, and just look at the, the defensive line, all together and look at Ethan Downs. Look at what he does. Number 40, watch him and compare him to what you're seeing from Isaiah Thomas. You're seeing some very similar things as far as the pass rush goes, the quick first step, the overpowering um, of the blocker and getting the hands up. And Ethan Downs is a true freshman. So I, I, I agree 100% Isaiah Thomas, defensive player of the game. But there's uh, some other guys out there that at least worth mentioning. For the second week in a row, a Big 12 coach has fallen. We're going to give you the Big 12 rundown, and then we'll wrap up the Sooner Nation podcast. Rich, we got to start this segment, I think, but just by talking about Gary Patterson. And and I, for one, am shocked. We, we, we talked about Matt Wells starting the season. Matt Wells is the guy that was on the hot seat. Uh, we talked about Neil Brown being on the hot seat. Um I was shocked that Matt Wells left mid-season. Even more shocked, Gary Patterson's gone uh, from TCU um, before the season ends as well. But at the end of the day, TCU three and five on the season. They've they they've got one conference win, uh, thirty-one to twelve loss at Kansas State on Saturday, a game that I pegged to be probably the closest game uh, in the Big Twelve this weekend. I was way off on that. The Horn Frogs only scored five points in the first half. And we're pretty much out of it from from the get go. But I, I really feel like with with Gary Patterson, the guy who built the TCU program, there's going to be a statue of him out in front of the stadium uh, very soon. But I think he lost the team. I really feel like when when you look at this team, you look at communication. I, I feel like he's a guy who lost the locker room, and ultimately he acknowledged that uh, by stepping away uh, and not even finishing out the season. But was, is that the biggest shock to you of the season? That Gary, not only is Gary Patterson gone, but he's gone before the season ends. I'm shocked that he's gone in general. It didn't matter when that would have come. At Gary Patterson, a guy who's been at, at TCU for twenty over 20 years at this point in time, you thought he had a, a very similar legacy mm-hmm. for that program to the one that Bob Stoops left behind 
at Oklahoma. I'm not comparing Bob Stoops to Gary Patterson. Please don't take that away <laughs> from this statement. But I'm saying Gary Patterson had a very, very similar impact on that program and bringing right. them to relevance. I think he's a large reason why TCU is not in the Mountain West Conference anymore Absolutely and agree. is instead in the Big 12. And they're playing as a Power 5 team. A private university in the Dallas, well, the Fort Worth, Dallas-Fort Worth area rose to prominence on on the shoulders of Gary Patterson and the defensive prowess that he had. I really thought that he was going to be a guy who left on his own terms, regardless of how the season went. I guess he kind of did that. Um, but you know, it, it is what it is at this point in time. And yeah, absolutely. Biggest shock. Cause he's not a guy that I had as an individual who was as a head coach, who was on the hot seat here in the big 12. Yeah. And you know, there were rumors, right? We, I talked about it. Um, following the Kansas game, there were rumors that people were starting to get discontented with Gary Patterson. But again, just the fact that all the things you mentioned uh, that he's out before the end of the season is just mind boggling to me. Oklahoma state completely wipes the wipes the earth with Kansas 55 to three in Stillwater. Rich, which is more shocking to you that Abram Smith outgained Bijan Robinson uh, on Saturday in Waco, Texas, or that Iowa state drops a road game against West Virginia. The way things have gone at, at West Virginia in Morgantown, that's the big shocker for me, Iowa state, I felt was starting to hit their stride. It was why they were a team that concerned me here in November. They beat Oklahoma state, which seems to be a trend for them. And then they completely fall off the face of the earth West Virginia was a team that had one, one conference win in five tries. Sure, uh -huh. West Virginia had the win over Virginia Tech as a ranked opponent. But needless to say, it was a team that I felt was on the fence and was heavily leaning towards the giving up on the season. All of a sudden, they get a second win over a ranked opponent. And it seems to potentially have revitalized this team and for for Neil Brown, it seems to have kept his job intact, at least for the remainder of the season and into next season. We'll see what really transpires as this continues to play out. But Matt, uh, West Virginia, as I mentioned, was a team that I thought was on the verge of quitting this season. So for them right. to get that win over Iowa State, absolutely the, the biggest shock for me. Yeah, that was a huge win for Neil Brown uh, for all the reasons that you just stated. So uh, the Big 12 landscape, Iowa State's not out of the thick of it, but they're they're up against the ropes, sitting at three and two in conference play. You really got three players here uh, vying for two spots. You got Oklahoma at six and zero, oh, and then Oklahoma State and Baylor at four one. Oklahoma State does own the own the tiebreaker over Baylor. So if if Oklahoma, here's the way this is going to set up: if Oklahoma wins the next two games, if Oklahoma beats Iowa State, they're out. If Oklahoma beats Baylor. And then Oklahoma, if Oklahoma beats Baylor, well, I guess that's the next game, and then beats Iowa State, basically it sets up a scenario in which no matter what happens in Stillwater for Bedlam, we're going to have Bedlam again a week later in Arlington, Texas, assuming that the Cowboys run through the remaining three games on their schedule, um, undefe or I guess four games un undefeated, and Suddenly looking at a trip to Morgantown this coming weekend, that's a big deal for Oklahoma State. Cowboys have at West Virginia, a home against TCU at Texas Tech, and then home against Oklahoma. 
this is the last hurdle, I believe, for Oklahoma State uh, to punch their ticket to the Big 12 championship game. But Iowa State, shocking loss for the Cyclones, but it did help clear up the the somewhat murky waters of the Big 12 championship race, in my opinion. Yeah, it absolutely did. Um, I know that fans in the state love to see an all-Oklahoma Big 12 championship. However, I just want it to be against the best team in the conference because what we're Oklahoma fans are ultimately eyeing is that college football playoff and anything that can bolster that resume, anything that you can put down as a, obviously it has to be a win, but anything you can put down as a marquee matchup for this Oklahoma team moving forward is only going to go in their benefit. So while you like to see it, I honestly would flip a coin if it's between Oklahoma state and Baylor at the moment. All right, one last question for you, and then we'll wrap up the episode. Um, Matt Wells is gone. Gary Patterson is gone. Texas setting on three consecutive losses, going to Ames, Iowa this coming weekend. Neil Brown coming off of a big win over a top 25 program. Steve Sarkeesian, is he the coach on the hot seat the most right now in the Big 12? I don't think so. Texas has too much money tied up in Sarkeesian as a head coach. Now, there's no way they could let him go after one season. I do think you go four losses in a row. Does that put them at 500 on the season? No, they're at 500 right now. Ah, okay. So all of a sudden we would have a losing season. I do think it shortens the leash for Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think it's the, the doom and gloom that would be hanging over him. And there's a large reason for that, Matt. And it's that Sarkeesian didn't recruit these players. He's right. not playing his recruits at the moment. And so I think Texas and the AD at Texas and the powers that be on the 40 acres will let this season play out, let him get some of his players into some of these roles and then make a decision from there. All right, that's it. Sooner Nation podcast. You can find us every day on the internet, heartland-sport.com. You can find us on the Twitters at Sports Heartland. We'd love to hear back from you. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.